Welcome. This is the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast with host Rob Giannino, where we have great conversation with really awesome experts from within the fly fishing community. You see, the fly fishing lifestyle is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. Check out flyfishingjourneys.com for more podcasts, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Here's your host, Rob Giannino. Luong Tom is yet another wonderful personality in the fly fishing industry. Whenever I see him, he always greets me with a warm smile and a pleasant hello. I return the kind gesture and let out a bold Tenkara Tunuki. That's obviously not his name, but his company and his brand. He loves Tenkara and he's a master Tenkara rod designer. A Tanuki is a small Japanese raccoon dog, and a cartoon of the Tanuki is his mascot. Like his mascot, Luong has a playful spirit. But don't let this confuse you. His Tenkara rods are tools of precision and excellence. Frank Burr, the golden trout dude, says the Tenkara Tanuki rods are the finest Tenkara rods in the world, including the ones made in Japan. That's a bold statement. Before we jump into the podcast, if you love to travel and are looking for an amazing adventure in 24 or 25, head over to the updated travel section of the Fly Fishing Journeys website. We have some amazing destinations and hosted trips available for you. These trips are highly curated, so much discretion and vetting has been put into each of them before they are chosen for you. Right now, we are focusing on Iceland, Patagonia, Alaska, and the Bahamas. We are also heading into India and the Brazilian Amazon this summer for some film work. If you'd like to travel with us, drop me a direct message or use the form on the travel pages and we can talk more. Now let's jump into the podcast with Tenkara Tanuki. We're going to take a short commercial break to hear from Tim O'Neill of Norvice. What makes the Norvice different than another system? There are a lot of rotary fly tying vices out there. The Norvice is the only vice that will truly spin when you tie flies, and there's a big difference between rotating a vice slowly and spinning it at a bit of a faster RPM. And being able to spin the hook on a zero-axis rotations opens up a lot of doors for us in the world of fly tying. Tell me about the introduction of colors to the Norvice system. When we obtained the company from Norm, he said to me just a very, very short statement. He said, you know, I always thought a colored Norvice would be a cool item. We brought out five colors, radical red, sunset orange, shamrock green, liberty blue, and royal purple. We have five colors along with the black that you're accustomed to seeing with Norvice, and we've been doing very well with those. To find more information and their online store, visit nor-vice.com. Well, welcome to the next edition of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I'm so excited to have Luang Tom on our podcast today. He's known as Luang, but I call him Tenkara Tanuki. And he's going to talk to us today about a lot of different things he has going on in his fishing life, which is Tenkara, golden trout, and other things, where he came from and his story. We want to hear your story, so Luang. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I have been uh, fly fishing all my life, almost all my life, since I was nine years old, a little bit younger than nine years old, and it was the U.S. air raid in Vietnam. So I was born in Hanoi, and then my father had a school and took me to the mountain school, and then also I stayed with my grandmom. So in the countryside, so they just they move over to the countryside. Nobody live in the city side. That's when 
I learned fishing from both on the mountain school and then also I went to the countryside and learned about fishing. Yeah. And most of fishing I learned it in, it, with kids it's very easy. You just put a worm on the bait and you will fish. Normally you just go out and grab a piece of branch of bamboo and then you go do that and all, all kids in the village doing that and Somehow, uh, I just be by myself, and uh, I start learning how to uh, carve the bamboo. We don't have sharp knife in Vietnam like we have fire everything. So we just broke a uh, fire, a broken ceramic, and we use that as uh, fire, and we just smoothing out the uh, the bamboo rod. and did a slit bamboo rod. You know, fish not big for the kid to catch in Vietnam because I was a little kid, so I just want the fish close to shore I can catch. What year is this, Luam? That was in 1968. Wow. Just when the war was going on. The war just started, and you had just start air raid North Vietnam. And so I go, I travel there, and I stay in the countryside between uh, 66, actually 65 to 72. Okay. So I was nine years old, and then uh, we just go in there, and I carve my own bed because I love the, the, the road band. It's entertainment for kids. And also, and I learned, my mom working in a factory, so I come to the factory, so all of these guys from factory teach me how to make the hooks, our bicycle uh, brake cable. Wow. So it's a standard steel, so I make those things, and you sharp that. So that's, basically, I fish with bobless hooks in the <laughs> early days, all right? Tell me about growing up in North Vietnam. Growing up in North Vietnam, it was uh, doing that air raid. Prior to the air raid, the line was pretty darn good because it's a peaceful time. And uh, my father is teacher, and we inherit a property from my grandfather who moved to the South Vietnam. So we live in the North Vietnam. So in terms of uh, everything was pretty darn good. Yeah. Not too bad. And then the air raid come in, we moved to the countryside. And that was, you know, we don't have radios or anything. So my mom making the radio, so we, uh, she sell the radio on the market to get some more money to uh, help us out. So I moved to the countryside and live with my grandmom. And her factory moving from village to village. So we just follow her village to village. So, so one thing, every time we go, she just said, watch what people are doing, learn from them. It's kind of basic observation. And I learned, I tried to blend it with the kid, but, you know, they, uh, it's different. Your dad was a teacher? My dad was teacher. What kind of, just in the regular school system? Uh, he was in high school teacher, but then uh, we go up, it's a Vietnamese communist country. So my father is black sheep in the family. Uh, the, his father or my grandfather into the Russian business. So he not interested into uh, Russian business, he interested into high tech. So he in you know working on the radios and everything. And besides, after the war was over and the communists coming over and try to, uh, to take away all the property. So they have uh, all these people from the village who used to work for my father and go in and put him on trial and say how bad he is. But the problem is everybody say my father was a very nice guy. Yeah. And uh, so they couldn't do anything with it. Most people like they can trigger the anger people talk about it. They might be just chop his head off. So it's just like many people in Vietnam are doing that time. So Did you have to go through any of the war, or did you experience, did you see any hardship? Yes, 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 yes. I've been to the, the air race right here. So we live in into the wars, and so for today, I'm totally anti the war, because the war is just nothing else but destruction and death. When I was 16, it was the, a friend of mine, uh, no, my boss at the time, I was working in the summer, I would just go working to make some money, and he lived in a very poor neighborhood next to the train station, it all store house. 
And at that night, 72, the, the B-52 bombers go over to that neighborhood. I mean, they don't have anything. It's just flat straw out, and it just totally flat his his village out. Wow. Another village is later, you know, the poor to the poor neighborhood live in near the train station because the rich people don't live close to the transportation. So they live in there, and the straw house, like one bomb was to blow the whole straw house off. And we heard about it. We come in, and everything was flat. And for him, it's about a year after that. Any people noisy, he just like totally faking out. Wow. So yeah. he has post-traumatic stress. Yes. And then also my uncle, who was in teaching in the school, architecture school at the time, and also the bombs just go in. And, you know, under the bed, you get a bunkers. Under the bed, you just leave the fog hose. So anytime the siren come out, it would just roll off the uh, the bed and it just go into it. And my uncle was roll up the bed, and then the bomb was bombing his school. I mean, all the kids go to school with bombing school, and then they dig him out three days later. Yeah, he's okay, but I mean, it just he yeah. was the building is collapse and over there, and so was that traumatizing as for you? For me, I did not see my uncle got it, but I, all my friend I saw it really kind of depressing because you cannot believe it. You can smell. I hate to say, but barbecue and meat wow. get burned and, and you smell it. It's, it's just terrible. Yeah. Sad. It is sad. And then you go to that. I remember the day before I come to see him, you know, all the bu- uh, all the little straw house was there. And then the, the, when I come to see him after the, the B-52 going by, on the street, if you see the building, it's okay. But the bomb hit the street. Uh, the, none of the bomb hit the street. There's no big bomb hit the street. But... The up the street you go into behind those tall buildings and all the poor people live in straw house is totally gone. Once in a while you can see maybe maybe one or two straw house left. But the rest of them are just gone and they get burnings and Yeah. People poor they have nothing, you don't see anything. So I mean everything chuckles. So it's just like over here after the fire go by the forest. Wow. Yeah. And then when the war ended, how long did you stay in Vietnam after that? What did you do as you went through high school and did you go to college and that type of thing? Yeah, I went to high school. I go to uh, college and to learn about construction managers. And after I graduated college, and just this, the war between Vietnam and China. And my father is about an eighth of Chinese. And uh, so we consider in the blacklist. Before that, 1968, and my father always, you know, dressed fancy because he was young man at the time, dressed fancy and riding the bicycle. And the communists did not get him in 19. 19- 66, but in 1956, and in 1966, they come over and they arrest him for, I think it was 1955. Yeah, they arrest him in 1955. And the only thing I remember, he come here, give me the big hug, and then they put him in, the, they handcuff him, and then they put him onto the big truck, and he carried everything we have from the bicycle, and you know, they took everything he, he owned. And then they did return the bicycle, and but anything they tried to get my father a spy for the U.S. Oh, wow. And so they put him on trial, and then he was in Hanoi Hilton. You know, all the American pilot was there. They were in there for seven years. They put all the thing in, and he couldn't get it. And then finally, he political opposition. So they tried it. Spy doesn't work, and he just gave him some like, political opposition. And so they sent him to a plantation up in the north for a long, long time. So wow. when we come back, I look at him just like the old man. When he came back, finally. Yeah, seven years later, he come back. How did that affect you? Affect me... 
and the kid normally get less affected. It's really kind of heartbroken when you see your dad image it when he get Vietnam before he go to jail. He's a looks really nice, handsome guy, and when he go back and he really kind of old man. Wow. And he got nothing left, and they just give him a few bucks, and he had to take the train all the way from North Vietnam and the mountain Vietnam to come home. Took him a month to get back. Wow. Yeah, so that's how they released you. So we don't know. And so that's about 72, and then what did you do? Well, 72, I go to the school there, and then I got into the college, and then I, a construction college, and then I do that, and we just work on the, you know, we just try to get a job. And then my father got back. Doing the college, he trained people specifically to do a construction engineer. So I was doing that in a construction engineer, and I built all the building and management, mostly. And so we do that. And then 78, the war between Vietnam and China begin to get hit up. Okay. And political begin to change very traumatic. Yeah. And the day before, Chinese was our brothers. Right. And the next day, you know, the, the enemy. Now, in Vietnam, they do very sneaky. Well, just like over, everywhere, they said, oh, those Chinese have the dynamite on their luggage, go into the big different store, everything. So everybody watch out for Chinese. So, like, suddenly, like, everybody... You know, the government control propaganda, right? Whatever new they want. So suddenly, like, everywhere we go, they watch us. You know, so like my friend, I go, my family friend said, Luong, it's better for you to come to our home, but you guys don't hang on the street. Just come to our home and then you visit your friend like that. I got a lot of Vietnamese friends to come to their home. They don't want me to hang out with a kid on the street if they think it's very dangerous. When did you come to the U.S.? So I come back at the end of 1979. I left Vietnam in March 1979, and then we was on the boat, and it take 40 days and 49. So then we, uh, I was end up in, in Hong Kong, and then my uncle was in America here, and then he sponsored us to come over here. Wow. But the journey is a very interesting journey on there. The Fly Fishing Show Tour travels the country every winter. From January until March, the largest consumer fly fishing shows in the world will be in seven locations. The stops are Marlboro, Massachusetts, which covers the New England area, Denver, Colorado, Edison, New Jersey, which is the New York, New Jersey, and Mid-Atlantic State show, Atlanta, Georgia, Bellevue, Washington, Pleasanton, California, the Bay Area show, and finally back to where it all started in Pennsylvania at the Lancaster Show. These are super fun events that are packed with teaching, presentations, and everything you would ever want to know or see in fly fishing. Find all the details at flyfishingshow.com. Why did you come to the U.S.? My uncle sponsored us come over here. What was it? What, you just wanted a new opportunity? or? Just... Oh, we left Vietnam. The first thing, we got kicked out of Vietnam. We got a choice. Either you go to the mountain, well, we already know what the mountain... And you go in there. That's how they call the new economic zone. So they send all of these Chinese people coming up there during that time. Now, I witnessed also the economic zone happened earlier. And all these people, you know, listen to the government and then they go to economic zone. By the time they get back, their house gone. And the government occupies. So they end up, they leave, they're homeless. They end up, they live under the... The bridge in the under yeah. everywhere, so they build a house over there. So we know what the economic zone is. Basically, if we left and then we go, so my father feel like unsafe. He get harassed by police all the time. Uh, they go and they check us every night, and so we just decide to just just get on the boat and get out. And then, what did you do when you first got to America? Well, when I get to America, you know, I was young, so I just I set my mind focus. I want to go to school here to study yep. because we get an opportunity. And all my brothers, they just want to go to work, get a job. 
I'm a youngest, I think. I, you know, the youngest, you know, basically your mind, you don't have to worry about things like your older brother because they always know they go to work so they know what the value of working is. So, and I just focus on uh, to go to schools and yeah. uh, I, I got to my graduate school here in UC Berkeley and I, you know, want to be an architect, so I got it. I wow. wanted it when I was in Vietnam, so now I come over here and get it. As you all know, all the kids get out of college. We think that we are so smart. Yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of energy. Just right. like everybody else was doing, we're just so conservative. We think we're right. much better than they are. It's just like all the kids just feel that way. So I get full energy going out. And just like my father, I really adapt quickly into the, the, the high techs and then working in varieties of field and design manufacturers and then go into the high techs and that's what i end up in the high tech for a long time yeah and then how did fishing come into your life oh i always love fishing so my passion always about fly fish uh in 19 uh, late 1990 it was on the trip to uh my kid i get my son he's growing up so we took him to call the uh lewis and clark trip he's homeschool so we just drove him all the way down and i end up in yellowstone I know in Livingston, and where they have a museum, a fly fishing museum. I walk out, and one of the uh, person there, just a young man, give me a fly rod. It just go out and cast. So we just went out and we just whip into the air, and we really enjoy whipping in the air a lot. And uh, then by the time I reach into Yellowstone National Park, I get three rods. Wow! Three fly rods, uh, but didn't catch anything. <laughs> but that was fun. And then I get back and I hired an instructor who was the gal from uh, Montana. So her name is uh, Stacy Channing. So she taught both my son and I learned how to cast properly. And then we cast and we go out fishing and we got fish. And uh, we get more exciting about that. And then uh, we uh, live very close to the casting pond. And I go to the casting pond and uh, just learn how people help me out on the casting. And I learn on yeah. the casting pond. That was fun. That was yeah. really, really fun. Uh, it was a really fun time. And well, then, how did you kind of gravitate towards Tenkata? Well, it's doing the, the midlife crisis. You know, it works in high tech. In 2000, everything begins to collapse, all right? So uh, during that time, I was spend a lot of time to do fly fishing. And in about uh, 2013, I was on the Yellowstone National Park, and I was fishing on a fire hole. I ran into a person. I forgot his name, but he used to work for... He retired. He worked for Honda. He's managed the Honda sales in Colorado. So he traveled a lot between Denver and Tokyo or wherever is it Honda. They over there. They train him. Like every year, he go there for three months. So when he come back, and he said, you know, he just used to ten cut a rod for thirteen years now. Uh, that was two thousand thirteen. So then, while he was talking to me, he just tossed the, the fly down the water and said, "Oh, I got a fish." I said, "Wait a minute. The first one, you don't believe it, but the second one." He landed in front of my face, and I said, whoa, that's interesting. That was so awesome and so nice. And then that's when I got back, but, uh, and then I started getting with the Tenkara rod. And it's very, it fit me very well because the way it fits the light of the water, I just control the fly, and yeah. I, I felt more close to my childhood and the nature itself. Tell our folks who may not know a lot about Tenkara. Tenkara Tanuki, what Tenkara is? Well, Tenkara basically, it depends on how you read the character. It, if you write in Japanese, it doesn't mean anything. Kara means empty. But if you write in Kanji in China, it means from heaven. So, But the Tenkara fishing, basically, in Japan, is different region and mountain people. They use uh, a fly fishing. You Probably they don't want to use a worm because, you know, the bait not last very long. 
So they use that and they, the fly they call kabari, which means feather and the needle. So then that's how they go out fishing. Now, so the wood tent cutter can be any meaning you want it to be and also depends on the region. But when it introduced into America, it's basically it's a fixed line fly fishing rod. It doesn't have any wheel. It just attach the line directly to the rod, and you go out fishing with that. And it's a very effective way in catching fish, especially in a mountain stream and a tide a little bit stream. But now today we know more about that a lot, and then uh, we will talk about how to use that on a big river later. But it, it fishing is very effective in a small stream in faster water in California. That's where. I am. It turned out it's, it's great for people who like, like headwater fishing. You go to the mountains, and uh, it's great. Or the pond is fantastic. Okay. So that. So w- where, how, how does the line attach to the rod? To explain that, because m- many people think the line is like the fly line, but you're not attaching a fly line. You're attaching the leader. Yes. The, the nice thing about a tenkara fishing, you can catch with a very, very fine line or the leader. Well, basically, you can just pull out a spool of zero X tippet, and you can just cast like it. Depends on the rod how you do that. Now, a tip of the rod, basically, it's just a, a tip of the rod, and the glue on the tip of the rod is a little line called the Lilian. It basically is a little thick line. It's okay. soft. It can flip it around, and then you tie your line onto the Lilian. So in that case, you can change your line of the Lilian, so you don't have to tie directly to the rod, but you okay. tie to the Lilian, and the Lilian glue to the rod. Is it loop to loop? From uh, It is loop to loop. I do have uh, several how to tie the line on. You can go on to uh, a YouTube channel called Tanuki Fishing or you can just search for how to tie the fly on a tenkata rod and it will be a lot of quite a number of videos out there to explain to people how to tie onto it. It's it's awesome library up there for that. So what's a typical size, the length of the a tenkata rod? What are some of the sizes? Now, when I just started to cut kind of rod, I did some research on a Wikipedia. It was a three foot, a three meter. It's about like nine foot, three meter, nine to ten foot. That was a standard. But a year later, I have learned that everybody caught uh, the standard is twelve feet uh, long. But you know what? It's no standard because fixed line and uh, there's no standard. So fixed line and the rod of varieties of length. So whatever length is comfortable for you. And it depends on the stream you want to fish, and that is the rod to go. So it's a live fly rod. It depends on what kind of live weight you want. And you here in the East Coast, you fish with a small stream. It's probably six foot long and uh, three-weight rod may be good for you. Same thing with a ten-cutter. You probably get away with the seven feet to eight feet long and to go into to catch some uh, wild brookie. And just like that. And then when you go to West Coast, you fish for big water. You could use the rod up to 17 foot or 15 foot, 17 foot and go out to Big River wow. and to cast and to catch fish on that or tail water. Yeah. That's amazing. It's very easy to cast with. So Tenkata rod is very light because it doesn't have the wheel. So it, it's very easy to cast is with. Is it easy to learn how to do Tenkara? Can you pick it up pretty quick? It's really, really quick. You probably, today like I, I was in here doing the, the show and, uh, you know, keep going now less than a minute to know how to cast it. Wow. So you don't have to spend a lot, invest a lot of time. The learning curve is very easy, very quick. But, you know, like everything else, to master it, it takes some time. And do you pretty much fish Tenkata exclusively, or do you still fly fish like with a regular traditional fly rod too? 
Right now, I'm exclusively fishing with a tenkara rod because it fits my fishing style better. Yeah. I feel more enjoyed, but I sometimes I feel itchy about casting. I do go out to the pond and cast. Yeah. Uh, because the problem when I do casting the line on the pond, it I felt like I, I, I spent too much time to manage the line in the water. Right. And with a tenkara rod, I don't have to manage. I like to fish water. I like to fish fast water. Yeah. Because the fish in the fast water, you you feel more challenged. When you land the fish, you feel the fish that bigger. It's more challenging to land the fish on the faster water than just slow water. Okay. But that's just my style. Well, you're West Coast. Yes. And, it's, you know, Sierra Mountain is like almost like a 10,000 foot high. And then the, the, the elevation change a lot. So the water is really kind of uh, spinned out pretty fast. And the fish don't have time to think. They just grab the fly. Well, you told us what the word tenkara means. Tell us about what the word tanuki means. <laughs> well, thanks for asking that question. Now, many years ago when I visited Japan and there was a little town in called Tokushima. It's a little island. Uh, they live in an island called Shikoku Island, which is about uh, a little bit south of, of, of Osaka. So I was there, and I see this very cute animal, and we carry the bottles of sake. So I got no idea what it is. But it, the image come to me. They come in and we search called a tanuki. The tanuki is the real animal, and it's smart like a dog, but it's like a raccoon. So it looks like a raccoon, but it's smart like a dog. So it's very fast. It's a lot of story in Japan surround that animal. And the first thing, tanuki is a social animal. And the second thing, when they put the leaf on their head and they can get the magic. So to me, they, and also tanuki is, is a trickster. So to me, a tanuki fit with a fly fishing rod, a fly fisher image is exactly the same because we tricking the fish <laughs> to take our fly. So, hey, the, the tanuki are tricked too. So it seemed to me like it's just matching the image. The you know, whole thing's matched together. Tenkara tanuki. Yes. So basically, fly fishing, tenka, fixed life, fly fishing rod. You can translate that behind the word, the meanings of that, yeah. But you know what? But when you go into to the tanuki, they get a very fascinating, a lot of movie about that. And if you want to call Pompoko, it's a tanuki movie. It's by Disney, it's built by Disney. It's a fascinating What's the name cartoon of it? movie. Pompoko. P-O-M-O-K-O. Pompoko. Pompoko. Yeah, I mean the drum of stomach. <laughs> so you know it's the drum of stomachs. Yeah, that means tanuki love to eat. And so the movie's about the tanuki? Yes. In it, Japan? Uh, yes. It's Disney dispute that. So you can when? go. When? Uh, it's about like, about like, I think it's about like four or five years ago. I'm going to check that out. You check it out. It may have on Netflix or Amazon. It's Very cool. awesome movie. You love it. it. It's a cartoon movie, but it's fantastic. Cool. Called Pompoko. Before we jump back into the podcast, here's a short word from one of our fantastic sponsors. Are you a guide, a lodge, or a product manufacturer in the fly fishing or outdoor industry? I want to introduce you to and highlight Cross Current Insurance. Their entire team are great people and experts in their field. They have a guide insurance program that is amazing and very affordable. If you are a lodge or retailer, they also have programs tailored to your needs. These guys fish and are in the outdoors, so they know the industry and the landscape. To get more information on a program that's perfect for you, find them at CrossCurrentInsurance.com. Tell us about an overview of you going up into the woods, because I know you love to go fishing up for the golden trout in the Sierra Nevadas, the golden trout wilderness in California, the high Sierras, eastern Sierras. This, This place has so many names. 
golden trout wilderness. This is your backyard. Yes. So the trip to the golden trout, for those of you who, I got a few fans here from the East Coast, come over and and uh, go to the golden trout wilderness. It's a very easy way to go. It's not very difficult. You go to the town called Lone Pine. I know it. And then you head on the Lone Pine and you go about like three or four miles and you will see the street side called the Horseshoe Meadow Road. Horseshoe Meadow. And you take the left on Horseshoe Meadow and just ride until the dead end. And then uh, that was about like uh, 10,000 foot high. So you are from a 4,000 feet elevation into 10,000 feet elevation in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So for those of you who don't have experience with high elevation, to just be sure you drink a lot of water the night before, maybe two nights before. And yes, a little bit inconvenience at night, but you need to hydrate yourself for it. You go up there and always carry with some Advil or go uh, Advil or some um, medicine that um, altitude sickness. No altitude thing yet. You have to do it way before that. You can go to a doctor and get altitude thing yet. But otherwise, you just go to Advil because when you go up there and or aspirin too, or something, yeah, you go your head quick. feel your your, your 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 head feel a little bit expanded now. You feel tight your head, and you take that one on in and Advil. You take uh, about uh, every four hours. One pill and then two pill and then okay. uh, and then you work for it and then your stomach feel calm down and then you go fishing onto it and then it works slowly for first day and the second day you can do more. So for some people who don't know where the high Sierras are or Lone Pine, we're talking like south of like Yosemite National Park, we're a bit south, but that's kind of the general area. We're we're over in near Yosemite. Yes. Yeah, so the the mountain of Yosemite run all from Mexico to Washington. Or even farther out. So on the west coast, close to the Coco, on the west side is a lot of trees because the water, when the rain comes in, it dumps a lot of trees. But on because the Sierra Mountain is very high, so go to another side of Sierra Mountain, it, the, called the east side. Eastern Sierra. Yeah, Eastern Sierra. And you don't see any trees at all. You see rock is the rocks. And there's a, rock, a lot of people who come over there for rock climber and dirt bike. And But the scenery is awesome there yeah. because what you see is what you get. The beauty is of nothing is very beautiful because everything you see is it's just very special. Do you run trips up there to the golden trout? I do to call teach people how to catch golden trout. And when you want to go uh, golden trout, you have to. I will organize the class because my friend Frank Burr, who has the uh, the permit to to teach people to catch fish in the golden trout wilderness. So Frank will take. People in there, and I do teach people how to use and cut a lot of the tactics. Sure. By the, and then I will fish with them, but I don't guide them. Frank will guide them. Frank will, okay. Yeah. And what is your company? Tell us about your company. My you, company is. You a, sell the tenkara rods. Yeah, I make tenkara rod style as a hobby, and a lot of people love it. And uh, I become my full time job. So I, I, my background is I'm an engineer. I get the uh, manufacturer background, but I'm an engineer. So I built my rod with the engineering mind. It's a little bit different than another rod. I'm also a member of casting club, so my rod and I, I got great access to the uh, to the casting club because they are great testers. Give me a lot of feedback. Yep. But so that's my rod is all about. I designed it and then I work with a manufacturer in China and they build the rod. And so are we like high sticking? Are we back casting when I'm when I'm fishing a tenkara rod? Do I back cast this leader or do I basically just like high stick nymph it? Well, you do both. 
you normally you do a little bit of backcast and you have to focus on your casting technique. And basically, the most fundamental of casting is the ten cutter rod. Hmm? Same thing with the fly rod. The first thing fly rod people don't have the lie out. They just have enough lie and then you hold it tight and you cast your warm up. Same thing with the ten cutter rod. All you focus on the tie loop and the target. That's all you need to learn about ten cutter rod. It takes so fast to learn because the lie is not be longer. You just hold the rod and then you cast a little bit back. Try a little, a little bit. Back cast and then forward cast. I will talk about casting a bit later, but I can go into the, the YouTube and watch a whole bunch of my YouTubes about casting. I'm really into casting. What type of fly? Am I using the same type of fly? Or what type of fly would I use with Tenkara? Now, when the Tenkara introduced to here to America, and the thing that, that turned the world upside down you know, uh, triggered a lot of curiosity, they're called Kabari. Okay. And basically, it's a Japanese fly. Or you can look into that. It's very traditional fly. In the past, like the, the Valciana fly in Italy, they, they tie exactly the same. The, the hackle is like going forward. The soft hackle we have is going backward because we designed for caster aerodynamic. But in the old day, because they have to build a hook, so you want to hold the, the hackle, you tie the fly, and then you warm up the uh, uh, the needle, and then you bend the needle. If you get the, the fly going another way, you burn all the okay. feathers. So, okay. so you hold that, and then the, the feather becomes your pattern. So that's why you do that, you bend it. But... A lot of people say a lot of theories about it, how fly, but that is my theory because I do tie fly and I learn how to tie with a soft hackle when I figured it out. But that's just my thing. So, so will any soft hackle work or do you use specific tenkata soft tackles? Fish don't know what I use in my hand. <laughs> so if it works with you, it will work with me. It doesn't matter what rod you have in your hand. You know, the fish I catch don't have educated about rod. All what they need, the fish I catch, all they need is what in front of them. Now, the way the fish take the fly are normally for few reasons. The first reason is food. The second reason, it could be I cast so badly and my fly fly to that fish. The fish annoy the fish and they yeah. take it. The third one is a curiosity. Mm-hmm. If the little guy will come in and say, well, check it out, what it is. Those curiosity normally you catch a little fish. But the annoying, sometimes you get a big fish. What are the pieces of a 10-car system? I know sometimes you can kind of fold them up and they, they fold down to very small. So is it one piece that's nine feet or, or it's expandable? Tell me a little bit about the rod. The rod is a very challenge because telescopic rod. Telescopic. Telescopic rod. So you can collapse it down. The, most of the standard way collapse it around, around like between 20 inches to 24 inches. So And then my tanuki, the, the one into, into the... That I had, we developed a new one called the, the backpacking series. So it collapsed down by like 13 inches, a little bit less than 13 inches. Perfect for the Golden Trout Wilderness. It's perfect for everywhere. People who do bicycle and people who does, uh, people who do traveling is fantastic. No reel. No reel. 13 inch rod and a little tube. You fit in your car glove box and you travel and then you just fish. And just a leader and a fly. Just a leader and fly. And now, uh, well, I do have the video. You can check out my YouTube. Like within four minutes, okay. I put a fly on, I go downstream, I catch four fish, and I head back. Wow. It takes as much time I go to the rest stop. Will you show me how to do this someday? I would love to. And we'll do it very easy and very easy to catch fish. You just have, yeah. Golden Trout Wilderness? Golden Trout. You have time to go to Golden Trout Wilderness. The best time to go to Golden Trout Wilderness is about late June and early July, mid-June July. That would be a fantastic time. I went up there on a horseback. All right. I went into the Golden Trout Wilderness on a horseback, and I fished Golden Trout Creek yes, and Volcano Creek. Yes. The, and the, that is the birthplace 
the pure strain of the golden trout. All the other golden trout in the other side of the Sierras and all the golden trout that are in Colorado or Montana or wherever they've moved them in other lakes, they all came from Volcano Creek and Golden Trout Creek up in the High Sierras. Yes. And I got to fish those two rivers, and I caught my first golden trout. It was probably like six inches long. It was so beautiful. Yes. When you catch the golden trout, you don't want to catch another fish. It's really beautiful. And I caught the other one. There's a, another creek golden trout that's more brown. Yes. You know that one? Yes. Well, the, the golden trout is early season when you go too early. The color is very pale. Yeah. But then when the sun coming up, it warm up, and then they, they color change so traumatic. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, I recommend if anybody wants to know more information about Tenkata fishing, you check out Tenkata Tanuki, Luan Tom. Luan, what is your Instagram, your YouTube channel, your website? Tell us how people can stay in touch with you in Tenkara fishing. Now, for people who go for Facebook or Instagram, you just search for Tenkara Tanuki. Tenkara is a T-E-N-K-A-R-A. Tanuki is a T-A-N-U-K-I. That's for Tenkara Tanuki. So either Instagram or Facebook. Now, my website is, is Tenkara Tanuki, all in one word, okay. .com. And we are going to include all that information in the show notes, so click away. Luam, thank you so much for being on the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I've learned a ton about Tenkara fishing, and I would love to get out there and give it a try with you. Thank you, Rob. You've been listening to Fly Fishing Journeys with your host, Rob Giannino. To be notified of new episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For past episodes, check out flyfishingjourneys.com. Fly fishing is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. 